What's happening is we don't want to give up control because we're so used to doing everything. But what we found through study after study after study in the industry, you know, you do better, you close more deals, you have a higher gross, you have a higher customer satisfaction and loyalty if you allow consumers to do it themselves. All right, gang, today I'm sitting down with my pal Kirk Prizer. He is the senior vice president at Lead Vantage. We're going to be talking about how to tighten up that online car buying experience so it actually maps to reality in the store. Here we go. Okay, Kirk, you know the you know the rig'em roll. We've done a podcast before together. You, you know I have to start. Anytime I get to sit down with someone who has worked at the OEM level, especially at the level that you did and had the vantage point that you had that was responsible for what you're responsible for, I got to start there. We got to let our DPB audience in on the the unique vantage point you have working for Audi America. What was your what, what were some of the things that you oversaw as you were working with Audi? Yeah, no, absolutely. First of all, good to be here with you today, Michael, and, and talk about this. You know, we saw a lot of different things. Uh, I was the director of retail buying experience at Audi of America, so we were essentially responsible for the entire consumer purchase experience, both online and in store. And the buzzword, as you know, in the industry these days is omnichannel. Okay. And right. what does omnichannel mean? We had to kind of break it down in, in systematically for us, the way we defined it is that connection between what a customer does at home um, with what they do in store or online when they engage with the dealership. So that was really where we were focused because there's so many great technologies out there today for a consumer to use online so that the technology investments are substantial. It's just when they engage with a dealership, whether that's in person at the store or on the phone or via email or text, we we tend to drop the ball a little bit. And so that's what we really focused on. It was this kind of getting back to basics. When, when we were uh, essentially entering into COVID and there was a chip shortage and there was a vehicle shortage, unfortunately, I think uh, we developed some bad habits during that time um, and we haven't really gotten out of them yet. And so what I've really been focused on and one of the things that I looked at a lot over the last couple of years is, is just some of the basics from the very beginning when we first reach out to a consumer and make that connection. I love that you bring up back to basics. And in a lot of ways, it's, it's funny because it seems so unappealing. Oh, the basics. Here we go again. But... You know, I think it's about shifting people's paradigm. You and I are both sitting inside of a structure that if it had no foundation, I mean, right now there's like monsoons floating through Texas. It's crazy. This yeah. thing would be slipping and sliding and I would be down the street sitting in this shat, this, you know, structure that's fallen apart. And so in that case, we're like, oh, no, yeah, definitely. We need the basics. We need a foundation. We need to do all these things. Yeah. Why do you think, though, when it comes to business, the basics and this concept of returning back to them or focusing back on them can feel unappealing to some? Oh, yeah. It's like doing a sit up, right? Like nobody wants to do <laughs> or a push up, right? Like some of the some of the basics. We'd rather take a, a Peloton class that works our whole entire body. But we really need to just do sit ups sometimes. <laughs> um, and I love the. The foundation of the house analogy. I, I I love analogies, and I think what we really discovered is I was pushing hard in the industry 
to adopt digital retailing technologies like your your Roadsters or your Darwins, your Gubagoo, et cetera, in store. Because I right. think that's the future of the business is, is using a tablet to allow a customer to basically kind of put their own deal together. And I still believe it's the future of the business. But what I found is that in many cases, that was too advanced right? Mm-hmm. for some of the dealerships that we were trying to work with and getting them to um, develop these concepts, these processes in store when effectively we weren't even making a good connection with the consumer from the very first lead. Well, I had to kind of slow down a little bit, right? And take this kind of crawl, walk, run approach, which I think we need to do in in the industry. So while I still believe that some of those concepts are, are the future of automotive sales, we've kind of gotten away from some of the simple things, just just making a valid connection with a consumer. Yeah. And, and I'm seeing it myself in my own auto shopping. So for the first time in 30 years, I had to go out and buy a car so, because I'm no longer with an OEM. What'd and, you get? What'd you get? <laughs> am I allowed to say on the show? Yeah, of course. I'm not so afraid. I, uh, I went back to my roots at Ford Motor Company, which is where I started. Okay. And I got myself a nice Bronco. All right. So, oh, okay. yeah, I've been, I've been dreaming about it for a while. And so I got a Bronco and I'm, I'm extremely pleased about it. And I had to work with dealerships, you know, during that during that time period. And it was amazing to me. Uh, some of them did a really good do- job at responding to my lead inquiry with respect to is this vehicle available because it's yeah. a popular vehicle right now. Like, are you you know, have you not pulled it off your website yet? And uh, some did a really good job and, and others just kind of whiffed. And so I think that, that we need to just kind of <laughs> look at some of the simple things like from the jump. Are we communicating properly? You, you can I mean, you couldn't hit that nail more on the head. I, you know, we had mentioned pre-show and, and obviously the audience knows a couple years ago, I moved from Canada to Texas. Uh, fun side note, everybody in Texas said, oh, you moved from Canada. Did you know that Canada and Texas have something in common? And I say, no, what's that? And they say, we both border the United States. <laughs> but I had to go through the car buying process and you ready for this? I had to go through the car buying process as a new immigrant. Okay. Which you think moving from Canada to the United States is, should be easy. No, I came with zero credit and, you know, like all of the things, all of the things. And to your point, it helped increase my empathy a little bit for where the breakdowns happen and what the customer's feeling in certain phases of the buying journey. So from your vantage point, you said there were some experiences that whiffed. What, what were they? What what were you noticing as friction points as you went through the buying process? Well, I mean, the first was the initial response, right? Like how quickly did they get back to me with some sort of customized response, right? So we're I think we're all pretty used to um, wherever we're shopping that there's going to be an auto response. So whether I'm buying a car or whether I'm looking at, uh, you know, I don't know, a big barbecue gas grill or whatever it might be, you know, you submit a lead to some sort of website or you're looking for a CPA or whatever, you expect in most cases you're going to get an auto response. Okay. Um, but how quickly do they follow up with uh, some sort of engaged communication? Okay. So whether that's text or email or phone, and, and I have to admit, okay, because I've been in the industry, I didn't put my real phone number in 
idiot leads. I submitted. Okay. How and dare so you? Unlike, unlike the mistake my son made that I posted about on LinkedIn like a couple of months ago, where the poor soul put his phone number in and, and was just harassed and hounded um, by multiple dealers. And I'm like, son, why did you do that? If you would have come to me, I would have told you, don't put your real phone number in. Um, so I didn't put my real phone number in, but I did put a legit email address. And, um, you know, some responded right away with, yes, this vehicle is in stock. Okay. That's the most important thing that I want to hear right away. Okay. If they responded with something that just said, Hey, when can you come in? Or, or, you know, I hear that you're interested in this particular vehicle. They're not really answering the most important question, which is, well, is it in stock? And then Obviously, in this day and age, you want to know about the price, right? I mean, the uh, Bronco is a pretty popular vehicle, and, and there's not a whole lot of discounting going on right now. And in some cases, dealers are selling it above MSRP. So I want to be able to get to a legitimate price discussion right away. You know, what's my out-the-door price? What, what are the potential incentives on that vehicle, et cetera, and, uh, which there are none. But they need to be able to answer those. If they start dodging those questions, then I'm getting a real concern. Right. right. What, when uh, when they're not answering those questions, they're not being transparent. I know there's going to be a lot of work done in the F&I office, but you got to be at least transparent from, from the get-go. Do you remember how many, I guess, lead submissions you did? Oh, God. It's probably 10. Oh, somewhere okay. over there. Yeah. I mean, I just I just uh, went on and found every vehicle that suited my needs, needs within 300 miles, somewhere around in there. And then I just started pinging dealership. I did both from tier one. Um, because it was easiest for me to sort the inventory. And so, you know, at this point in time, I was just submitting a generic lead form from tier one and just asking if the vehicle was available, you mm-hmm. know, and then yeah. I figured I would get a little bit deeper. And uh, like I said, I mean, some didn't respond back um, for a couple of days. I mean, it was at the end of the year. I mean, I know how it goes, right? I waited till two days before that year end sales call. He's going for the deals. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've been in the industry a little while. Yeah, a little while at, at all levels. Um, what do you say to those that go, okay, so the biggest part where they drop the ball or the first thing that you noticed was the response and the type of response. Do you think this is where perhaps the AI conversation creeps in and people go, well, why would I even have to get good at that? AI is just coming for that piece of the pie anyways. Well, that's an interesting discussion, all right, because, you know, I think that there is the potential in the future for AI to be able to handle some of those discussions from from the very beginning. Um, I think that there is an opportunity for for AI in the future um, to, to potentially be able to answer some of those initial uh, questions for a consumer. Now, whether or not AI is going to be able to determine if that vehicle's in stock is, is, is a different story. Um, so we're going to have to, we're going to have to cross that bridge first mm-hmm. to determine whether or not the vehicle is in stock. But when customers have kind of generic questions about the price of the vehicle or, um, you know, with respect to incentives, uh, especially EV incentives or charging network or whatever, I think a lot of that can be programmed into AI to start from the very beginning. You, you have to bring in a person at some point in time. Um, and I think the the next important thing that we're going to have to work on is that transition. What is that transition um, between the AI and a real person jumping in? And, and are we picking up where the AI left off or are we making the customer kind of start over again? So yeah. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm not necessarily concerned about that because we're not doing a really great job at, at responding to initial leads. And so I'm okay with, with AI doing some of that in the beginning. Yeah. And I mean, to that point, when you look at the dealerships and dealer groups that are really knocking it out of the park, this is one of those basics that they pay a lot of attention to. They pay attention to response time and what they say and how they interact and how they start that relationship off on the right foot. And, you know, for those listening, wondering, well, what's the tangible piece that I could be doing here to return to basics? I feel like they need to be paying attention to this. They need to be paying attention to all of the opportunities that are spilling into their business that perhaps are getting torched, like completely burnt by way of not responding or not responding appropriately or not taking a minute to actually understand or decipher what the customer is actually asking. Hey, before we hop back into this episode of the Dealer Playbook, we got to give a shout out to today's sponsor, AutoFi. AutoFi helps progressive dealers like you sell smarter, not harder on your dealership website and now in your showroom too. AutoFi solves the everyday problems dealers actually face like bottlenecks at the sales desk, customer distrust and decision overload. And their all new showroom solution includes deal estimation, desking, lender routing, and an F&I menu all in one powerful platform that bridges the gap between the CRM and DMS. Dealerships with AutoFi can manage the floor more efficiently, fast track the yes, and make better lending decisions, enabling them to sell cars faster with higher satisfaction and more profit. In fact, deals with AutoFi take an average of 28 minutes from customer check-in to loan approval, and dealers are making $411 more back-end PVR per deal. Go to autofi.com forward slash dealer playbook to learn more. That's autofi.com forward slash dealer playbook and start selling smarter today. All right, let's hop back into this episode. To me, when I work with dealerships, the first thing that we have to do, and I can't believe we're still having this discussion years later, is we got to simplify our websites, our VDPs, okay? Our VDPs have gotten way too complicated. We have too many call to action buttons on there, and many of them do the exact same thing. I've seen dealer websites where they have three or four call to action buttons that just go to a generic lead form. <laughs> like, it, it's like, really? Okay. We don't need three to four. Like, in fact, I'd argue that we don't need any call to action buttons that go to a generic lead form. And I'm going to advocate that every dealer tries to follow their customers directly into a digital retailing tool because that's what they want to know. They want to know what this vehicle is going to cost them. Even if they're paying cash, they're going to want to know what the total is with, you know, tax and tags and title and dealer fees and all that other kind of stuff. They, is certainly if they're a payment buyer, they want to know what the lease and, and finance payments are. So just drill everybody into the digital retailing tool. So the first yeah. thing I say to dealers is simplify your websites and certainly do not have competing products like uh, Capital One Auto Finance, okay, on with a, you know, that's going to take a customer off um, your website. And uh, the same goes for some of the trade evaluation tools. I'm going to advocate that you deep link directly into your digital retailing tool. So if you're your DR tool, in most cases they do, as a trade evaluation piece of it, then just deep blank your customer right into that, okay? Instead of, you know, making them go outside. That's the first thing. The yeah. second thing is, is let's make sure that we take the time to 
actually read what we have on hand with respect to that customer. If you if they are using a digital retailing tool, you know a lot of information about them. And what I find more often than not when when we mystery shop a dealer at Lead Vantage is that they're not even taking the time to read the information that's in their system. Okay. They're just responding automatically with respect to the VIN that the lead was submitted on. But you know whether that customer's got their own financing, whether they're interested in a lease, whether they're interested in, in a purchase, how much money they want to have down, whether or not they jumped from different vehicles. Okay. They might look at three different vehicles. And so if they're looking at a sedan and an SUV, then you know that they they're maybe are not sure yet what they want. That's great information to have from the very beginning that you can automatically start communicating with them about without making them start over in the process. Mm, yeah, I love this. You know, it, it reminds me of, and by the way, I'm a complete lay down when it comes to my cars. <laughs> like, just a complete lay down. I go, that one. Do you have that one in silver, black, or white? Yes, we do. Okay, I'll take it. Uh, just give me that one. Um, probably to your point, though, the most seamless car buying experience I've ever had was uh, I bought an F-150 and it was from a client of mine uh, out in Saskatchewan, Canada. Yes, a real place. It's not a make-believe place, Kirk, where princesses and griffins roam. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, and I said, hey, I found the one that I liked you to your point. Do you have this one? And he says, yes. And then he shoots me the link to their DR tool. It was AutoFi. Yeah. I fill out the auto five form. It was the first time I had ever interacted with a DR tool, by the way. I fill out the auto five form 60 seconds. I swear 60 seconds later, it's like, congratulations, this is your truck. And it happened so quickly that I actually called the, my, my dealer partner and I said, um, okay, so what's the next step? He's like, well, let me look. He's like, you own a truck. And I'm like, no, but like, this is just a lead magnet, wasn't it? He's like, no, you... No, this tied right into Ford Canada. You own the truck. Yeah, I think four days later, the truck's in my driveway. It was the best experience I'd ever had. That's the way it's supposed to be. And the technology is there for for us to do that. And unfortunately, you know, dealers are paying a lot of money to put these these technology tools on their websites, these DR tools on their on their websites, and they're not utilizing them to, to the full advantage. I think part of it is getting comfortable with giving up a little bit of control. Right. Mm. I mean, we we still I mean, I've been in this industry 30 years and I, and I like to tell people, you know, I was a, a rep for Ford Motor Company calling on dealers before they had websites. OK, so I've <laughs> seen it all. Right. There was no websites back in the early 90s. We didn't have websites. We were we were using a, you know, full color Sunday paper <laughs> ad. Right. right. So part of my job was to bring back uh, the, you know, the Sunday paper full, you know, the full page color ads, you know, back into the office so everybody could see what's going on. Um, but I, I think what's happening is we, we, we don't want to give up control because we're so used to doing everything. But what we found through study after study after study in the industry, whether it's Cox or Deloitte or whoever, CDK that have done these studies is that you know, you do better, you close more deals, you have a higher gross, you have a higher customer satisfaction and loyalty if you allow consumers to do it themselves. And so we got to get comfortable w- with giving up a little bit of control and allowing consumers. That's that's the, you know, having been in the industry for so long, I, I just take control when I'm, when I'm buying a car deal. And so when I was buying my wife's vehicle, 
literally the general manager let me sit down, you know, sit down. They didn't have a DR tool. He let me sit down with his desking tool and play around with payments until I came up with one that I liked. And, and so, I mean, customers want more control and we got to be comfortable, you know, with giving it up because I'll go back to that dealer for my next purchase. You know, he yeah. made me comfortable. It's true though. You know, my, when I, when I compare my best car buying experience to my probably least favorite, it always comes down to the same things. Sitting in that finance office, the, the finance manager's computer screen is covering half their face. You don't know what they're typing for a solid 30 minutes. And you're just sitting there wondering like, what's he, what's he putting in there? And it's so uncomfortable. Whereas to your point, I think with every year that goes by, the, the consumer is becoming more and more comfortable and more and more sophisticated, right? We, we've all talked about how little kids can use an iPhone better than their parents. They're more and more sophisticated. They want to just have more uh, control placed in their, their hands. And to your point, what we're seeing, especially with these DR tools, is that more people are converting on through to the purchase. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, even me in my in my situation, I'm sitting in the F and I office, you know, buying this Bronco, and he's running my credit, and I'm like on pins and needles, right? Like, what's he gonna come back with? You even know? though you know you're still on pins. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've been through the process, but I'm but I'm sitting there, you know, kind of on edge. Um, but because of my experience, you know, I'm drilling him and saying, okay, what's my buy rate? Okay, you know, I mean, how much are you marking it up? What's the buy rate? Right. I guess right. an average consumer doesn't necessarily know but we have to get more comfortable with that because consumers are going to shop where it's easy for them and where they feel safe okay and and, and with dealerships that they trust and so the more that we can do to be transparent and build trust for the consumer and give them control that's where you're going to build loyalty you may not see it necessarily the first time around, but you're going to see it with the second purchase and the third purchase and subsequent purchase and, and word of mouth. Like, you know, you're talking about it right now, best experience that you've ever had. That's what consumers right. do with Tesla, right? Um, you know, having been with, with Audi for a long time and competing with, with Tesla, what we saw in many cases when we talked to Tesla owners is that it wasn't necessarily the product in all cases. Now, granted, Tesla has a huge fan base, okay? And there's a lot of people that love the product, but there was also a lot of people that weren't necessarily super excited about the product, but they love the process. They love the fact that it was a set price. They love the fact that they didn't have to haggle and hassle. They knew all the information up front. Mm-hmm. We gotta start to get a little bit closer to that. Mm, I love it. So if we recap everything we've talked about, you brought up getting back to basics. And really, we've, what we've ascertained is that the basics are things they should be doing anyways. They should be the, the things that they're the best at. Giving, getting out of the customer's way, providing them a good communication experience, give them the information they want. And like you said, then placing uh, appropriate tools in their path that they can use to just complete the action that they want to complete. Ooh, and I love that you said get rid of CTAs on websites. I think that's boy, oh boy. Can we shout that from the tippy tops of the mountains to streamline how many options that we give people? Uh, This has been so much fun. Obviously, I would love to be able to talk to you about this all day. I'm not going to torture you in that way, but uh, I want to turn it back over to you one last time. How can those listening and watching get in touch with you and learn more? 
Yeah, please do. Okay, if you if you want to know more about this space, I'm super passionate about it. I've been working on modern retail, omni-channel, progressive retail for a long time. The easiest way is to just find me on LinkedIn. Okay, Kirk Prizer, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, send me a connection invite. I'm happy to connect with you. Um, you know, my, once you become a connection, my contact information is right there for anybody to be able to connect with me. Not a problem. And then follow Lead Vantage. Um, you know, we are on the verge of of really kind of changing things, and I would love for for you to follow us in our journey because all the stuff that you and I talked about today, Michael, you you can't move what you don't measure, and that's mm. what we focus on. So you could have a lot of great intentions with respect to getting back to the basics, connecting with a consumer, um, a lot of stuff that's coming up with the FTC as far as, you know, what we're communicating to a consumer about price and options yep. and all that yep. other kind of stuff. You don't know what your people are saying unless you measure it. And that's one of the things that we're good about is giving you all that data so you know what your people are saying and then you can work with them on it. And that's when the trading comes about. So just reach out to me on LinkedIn. Love it. Kurt Prizer, thanks so much for joining me on the Dealer Playbook Podcast. Appreciate it, Michael. Good to see you again. I'm Michael Cirillo, and you've been listening to the Dealer Playbook Podcast. If you haven't yet, please click the subscribe button wherever you're listening right now. Leave a rating or review and share it with a colleague. Thanks for listening.